Welcome, and thank you for joining this podcast brought to you by the American Heart Association. The Association's Digital Digest series features a range of podcasts and videos focused on the latest resuscitation science topics. This is Mary McBride. I am the Pediatric Emphasis Group Chair for the Emergency Cardiovascular Care Committee for the American Heart Association. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Drs. Ash Panchal and Dr. Kate Berg to talk about the creation of the AHA 2020 Adult Guidelines. What are the AHA 2020 Adult Guidelines and why are they important to the general public? The 2020 AHA Adult Guidelines, they reflect the latest in resuscitation science and treatment recommendations that we have out there. A lot of times, a lot of us clinicians are looking for a little bit of guidance about what's the best thing I can do at a particular moment. And the AHA Guidelines have been one of the gold standards in regard to these clinical guidelines. And it gives us a way that we can frame the practice of resuscitation science, not only in North America, but around the world. So it really is that seminal paperwork that we can go to and say, hey, this is probably the best way for me to take care of patients with cardiac arrest. So then how are these 2020 guidelines different from past guidelines? I think one of the biggest differences is the format. So I think in the past, you know, people had voiced some feelings that the guidelines were a lot of text, difficult to read, difficult to reference in a clinically usable way. So the guidelines have been revamped in the modular chunk format to make it easier to look up specific topics or you know guidelines around a specific portion of resuscitation or post-arrest care that I think makes it much more accessible and easily referenced. I think one of the responses that I think has been great from the American Heart Association is the fact that we recognize these chapters were enormous. And in this new modular chunk format, it's going to be so much easier for us to find what you want and actually get the clinical guidance you need. How are the recommendations in the guideline drafted and what evidence or process are they based on? When we think about the 2020 guidelines, I really want you to think in terms of this as a, a true refresh. We actually went through and looked at all the different aspects of adult resuscitation as we started putting this together. You could imagine that this is a large amount of information that we were covering. With that in mind, we had a number of different strategies that we used to look at that science. The first being systematic reviews from ILCOR. And these are kind of the classic ways that we've used the systematic reviews to then transition that into rec treatment recommendations. From there, We've also used this time ILCOR scoping reviews and evidence updates, which were done by the councils and ILCOR. So you can really see that this was a large endeavor by many people to put together the science. And in the end, what that evidence and that whole process did is allow us to have a really good look comprehensively at resuscitation science and give you the best idea of what's the right thing to do. So based on that, who's the target audience for these guidelines? So I think the, the short answer would be anybody who is involved with cardiac arrest patients in any way. So really, and because these guidelines cover basic life support, advanced life support, post-arrest care, and even recovery. And now there's a new link in the chain of survival that we added on recovery. And I, so I think it really covers the whole spectrum. So that could be anybody from EMS personnel and other pre-hospital providers to emergency physicians, nurses, PAs, in-hospital providers, and then also people, you know, treating post-arrest patients and survivors who are in the outpatient setting. So I think it really covers the full gamut. And then even extending that to people making decisions on where AED should be placed and things like that, I think all of those people will be interested in the guidelines. I really, really like what you said, Kate, because it's something which is for every part of the chain, 
And there's people in every part of the chain. We have bystanders, we have stakeholders, and all those people are the ones who are engaged in this vast community to kind of save a life. Once the 2020 guidelines published, how are the recommendations implemented into the American Heart Association? The education and training materials that are developed by the AHA ECC programs are based on previous guidelines and all the focused updates. Now, once the 2020 guidelines are published, our ECC training materials, our courses, our programs, and all the products are updated to reflect all of this new current science so that as people are getting trained, they're getting trained in the most up-to-date best practices in resuscitation education. This way, when we send new people out there who are now newly trained, they are trained to the 2020 guidelines and are ready to push the future. So speaking of that future, what are some of the highlights of the 2020 guidelines? So this is the exciting part for a lot of us and for me particularly. So there's a lot of highlights and even uh, key science updates that are out there, but I think the highlights are kind of the exciting part. And I think one of the big things about resuscitation is that there's certain focuses that we know is going to be there forever. Like, for instance, we need to make sure that, that we can recognize a cardiac arrest event. And a bystander should be able to simultaneously activate the EMS response system and initiate CPR. And of course, when we perform CPR, we should be able to perform CPR in a manner such that we're performing high performance CPR or high quality CPR so that we have adequate compression depth and rate and are we minimize pauses and we have early defibrillation. In this 2020 guideline, we reaffirmed these concepts and really substantiated with the newest data, but more so we also add some additional guidance. For instance, we also provided additional guidance on when to remove clothing and jewelry during resuscitation, just to kind of clarify those points. So a lot of guidance there to move us forward when it comes to the care that we provide. Another major area that we once again discuss is the administration of epinephrine. Now, Kate, this is an area that you did the systematic review on. Do you want to pick this up a little bit? Sure. So I think when the Paramedic 2 trial came out in 2018, we provided updated guidelines on epinephrine during cardiac arrest. And that was really the first very large trial, you know, 8,000 patients that showed a survival benefit from epinephrine. I think in spite of the fact that the AHA, as well as ILCOR, kind of reinforced their guideline and even strengthened the recommendation for epinephrine, it did become somewhat of a controversial topic because the overall survival rates were very low in that trial, and there was no improvement in favorable neurologic outcome. And in the shorter term, there was even some suggestion of more survival with poor neurologic outcome in the epi group. But I think that and we comment on this additionally in the 2020 guidelines that it really highlights one of the problems with cardiac arrest trials and the time to medication in that trial, as in many others, was about 20 minutes and still improved survival even with that long time to medication. And in in-hospital data, it really seems that the earlier epinephrine is given during an arrest, the better the outcomes are, for, especially for non-shockable rhythms. So I think, you know, to our writing group, our conclusion really is that this seems to be a drug that can improve outcomes, certainly improves ROSC. It seems to improve survival even when given late, but that the focus should be on giving it early so that we're bringing people back before we've had significant neurologic damage. I think other highlights include some of the special circumstances. So we looked at, just as an example, cardiac arrest in pregnancy. You know, this has been fortunately a rare event, so a hard thing to study, but we highlight that the priority is really always resuscitating the mother, both to optimize maternal and fetal outcomes, and that, you know, high quality CPR and defibrillation when indicated are the priorities, as well as relieving that using left lateral uterine displacement to 
relieve aortic cable compression, and then to like, think and plan very early in the resuscitation for delivery if you're not getting return of spontaneous circulation quickly. And we also, in these guidelines, provide a new algorithm for cardiac arrest in pregnancy. I think we can't talk about highlights and care if we don't think about some of the epidemics that we have in our patient care population. And so one of them that we know has always been a problem and it's become even more so is the opiate epidemic. And in this 2020 guideline, we really focused on the concept of opiate associated out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and really went through the whole discussion about what is important and even gave, present two new algorithms looking at this question. And we spent some significant time talking about the patients known or suspected to be in cardiac arrest, and in the absence of any proven benefit of naloxone, the focus should be conventional resuscitative measures, and that should take the priority over naloxone administration. The other big area that came across for us was really going through a detailed discussion of post-arrest care also. Now, the, we know that post-arrest care is a critical com component of the chain of survival, and it demands that we have a comprehensive, structured, multidisciplinary system to address this. And so in these guidelines, we provide an updated algorithm looking at the initial stabilization phase and the additional activities that you're going to need to do after somebody has ROSC, including tight blood pressure management, monitoring for seizures, and even targeted temperature management, and even thinking about whether or not patients should have percutaneous coronary intervention. Now, with all this being said, I think the biggest thing after that is neuroprognostication and looking at that concept. Kate, you've done a lot of work with this. Yeah, so I think in neuroprognostication, I think for me, was probably one of the, the largest and most complicated parts of the guidelines. So, you know, there were some truly massive systematic reviews done to inform the guidelines here. And we have provided, I think, again, because it's a confusing topic and it's done in different ways in different hospitals across the country. And I think we're hoping that these guidelines will help make the guidelines more apparent to people and sort of easier to reference. So there's a new schematic that provides multiple modalities that should be used for neuroprognostication and gives people a timeline for sort of when to use which modality and really breaks down neuroprognostication by you know, clinical exam, serologic markers, electrophysiology, and imaging with very updated data. As I mentioned earlier, we've added a new section on recovery and survivorship. This was you know, involving folks who crafted the scientific statement on cardiac arrest, recovery, and survivorship. And I think just emphasizes that once with resuscitation and post-cardiac arrest care, people survive, that their illness is not done and their recovery is far from done. So just talks about how to help people, you know, readjust to normal life and continue to recover in the months that follow a cardiac arrest. Yeah, for me, this is one of the most exciting pieces because I think we're at the point that we recognize that there are survivors from cardiac arrest and they need support. And this is not something we've talked about before. And being an addition, added chain in this link makes complete sense because now we have enough survivors that it's going to truly make a difference. Those are a lot of changes and I applaud all of you. And I'm also wondering what about some more of the interesting science that's coming out? I think one of the cool things for me is really thinking about how pre-hospital care, because I'm a pre-hospital guy and how pre-hospital care sometimes affected. Now, one of the cool interesting things that we discussed through these guidelines is double sequential defibrillation. And so the concept of double, double sequential defibrillation is something that we can actually provide for patients we encounter who are having who are refractory to defibrillation attempts. 
And the concept is that you can do shock delivery by two defibrillators nearly simultaneously. And this is emerging new technology, and it's a new approach to managing these patients. Now, the, the interesting thing about this work is that we got the first chance to really look at this question in a form of a guideline, to really look at and, and make a decision about whether DSD is the way to go or do we need more data. And one of the exciting things for me is that in this case, we've had a systematic review which was conducted, and we found that the usefulness of double sequential defibrillation for these refractory shockable rhythms has not yet been well established. So it's something that we need to take a little bit closer look. And there's a couple of different areas, I think, that had some of these things. Now, I think point of care ultrasound may have been one of those. Kate? Yeah, and I think, you know, like Ash said, he's a pre-hospital guy and I'm his counterpart, so I'm an in-hospital ICU person. So I think point of care ultrasound has gained popularity in the out-of-hospital setting, but particularly probably in the in-hospital setting where it's more readily available. I think one of several diagnostic modalities or interventions that has kind of gained a lot of popularity, but without a lot of really solid evidence behind it. And there was a big systematic review done by ILCOR using point of care ultrasound for prognostication for ROSC. So really on making decisions on whether you should terminate resuscitation and just found that there's a lot of studies out there. Uh, they're very inconsistent in, you know, what ultrasound findings they looked for at what point in the arrest they looked at them, generally not blinded. So very questionable data. So I think even though the prospect of using point of care cardiac ultrasound to help you determine if you should stop resuscitation has a lot of interest in that. I think we really found that the data is not there yet. And so I think it's, it's a good thing to highlight for people to look at. Similarly, and I think this kind of crosses definitely into the in and out of hospital setting is the IV versus IO question. The IOs have certainly become much more popular in recent years. And I think for good reason, a lot of times it's hard to get an IV and you don't want to waste time doing that if you're, you know, want to be focused on CPR and resuscitation. But from the data that we have so far, it looks, you know, the outcomes seem to be slightly better when you use an IV versus IO. And I think none of this is sort of purely randomized data. I mean, randomized people to getting an IV or an IO. So it's all taken from other randomized trials and observational data. But we did end up you know, suggesting that people try an IV first. And if you can't get an IV or, you know, it seems like it's not feasible, then IO is a good second option. And I think cer certainly something that would be better looked at in trials in the future. Thank you very much to Dr. Panchal, Dr. Berg, uh, for your expertise and uh, updating us on the guidelines today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association. For transcripts of this podcast and more information about resuscitation science, please visit cpr.heart.org or engage with us via social media using hashtag ECC Digital Digest. <laughs>